0: Everyone's always thinking about what they don't have. And they can be like, oh, you're an amazing speaker. I don't have that. And then you could be saying, oh, but you work as a coach or, you know, whatever it is, we can always be looking at each other, thinking he's got something I don't have, or she has this, and you just take that focus away from what you do. And it's that hedonic treadmill where it's never enough.
1: My name is Ashanti and welcome to the Taking Off The Mass podcast where men get real. Men of all ages and backgrounds come together to this space to own and discuss how they present themselves to the world. In this work of the Million Mask Movement, the front of the mask is what are the things that we gladly let the world see? And the back of the mask are things that we don't usually talk about, that we don't usually give people much information about. Maybe you can ask yourself right now, like, what would be on your mask? What would be the things on the front of the mask that you talk about all the time, and you gladly show the world? And what would be the things behind the mask that you don't talk much about? Or maybe that you're avoiding? Sharing his mask today is Manj Bara. Manj is a transformation and relationship coach with a talent and love for helping people. In this conversation, we talk about our masks as we are people who both connect with people in intimate situations and conversations and deep personal reflections, sometimes we don't usually have a chance to go and explore our own mask. And in this conversation, you will hear that in this conversation, we talk about how we feel about our bodies. I mean, I think it's a topic that teenage boys experience a lot in our work and ever forward and have a hard time talking about it. And in men for sure have a hard time talking about when we come to a place of how we feel in our own bodies. The worry about aging, the worry about how we look, the worry about muscles and not muscles and athletic and not athletic, all the things that happen as we have an image of ourselves, which we can't help but every time we look in the mirror to have an image of ourselves. And either we really love the image we see or we don't. But do we have a place to talk about it? I hope you enjoyed today's episode. Thank you. Manj thank you for being on the Taking Out the Mask podcast. Glad to have you.
0: No, thank you for having me. I think it's awesome what you do. So
1: I'm very excited. Well, I'm excited to be in this conversation with you. You know, as a guest, you get to kind of like set the groundwork for what you want people to know about you. So tell us what would help us to know you as we get ready to jump into these masks.
0: Sure. So I'm a transformation and heartbreak coach. So full time in life coaching now that's what I do I work with people who want to change their lives and in particular people who are recovering from any kind of heartbreak so that could be relationship could be career something that didn't work out for them whatever it is and I'm like trying to take them from where they are now to where they want to be and I've been doing that for five years and the 10 years before that I used to work at an investment bank called JP Morgan which is an American investment bank did the whole corporate thing and now I'm a kind of living my dream and doing what I want to do, which is yeah, more fulfilling but definitely uh has its own challenges as well. Thank you, man. Thank you for sharing that. I'm really excited to
1: learn about this. I think heartbreak it you know, I've had my own share of it, but I think definitely uh maybe many people have and maybe don't have a place to process Maybe that's what these masks are talking about, right? The the stuff behind that oh I'm supposed to have it all figured out or mm. I get so deeply ingrained into the grief around it that it makes it even harder to to just to just show up you know
0: yeah i think what's interesting at the moment is so i've got clients in 23 countries i've I've worked with a lot of people but there's no i can't say to you there's a type of person that i work with so i've had from like age 18 to all up to like a 70 70 and above like the same things happen to all of us right whatever age you are wherever you are in the world And I think what's also interesting is, um, I guess my take on it is partly spiritual, but also I bring some of the science into what's happening now based on the pressures we have through social media, how that impacts your dopamine, trying to live up to expectations. All of this really changes dating in the 21st century. So we're just living in a completely different world to how people were before. So for me, right now, we are in this environment where it's so topical because you feel even more pressure than ever before, and it almost hurts you in a way that it never hurt before. So these masks are really relevant because on one hand, you want to show a certain persona of yourself and a, and how you are in that you know that good side, and then underneath it all, you're thinking, am I good enough? Am I keeping up with everyone? Is there something wrong with me? Am I broken? And it's just really fascinating to see this across the board with every type of person that I work with. So I think what you're doing is a really great way of kind of bringing that to the surface and talking about it, normalizing it. Yeah,
1: actually, thank you for the clarity on that. So in the heartbreak context, is it connected to, is it mostly relational, like relationship heartbreak or is it, is it considered, is like grief considered heartbreak too?
0: Yeah, I, I would say most of the people I work with, it's to do with relationship heartbreak. But the way I view it is your romantic relationships or your relationships in general are a metaphor for your life. So how you are in those situations just transcends everything else. i give you an example. If you're a person who is always chasing, always feels like you're not enough, it's very likely you're like that in other areas like your career right, or with finances or Your personal health. It's very rarely you're just one way in dating. So the reason I talk about heartbreak as a concept is one of the things that I've been most popular with is unrequited love. So when you're you're going after someone and they don't want you back, right? And you know I had an experience of that when I was younger, which really transformed me. It didn't stop there. I thought it stopped there when I met my wife and I got married, but actually it just transcended into a different area. And suddenly the unrequited love I had was in my career. Like I said to you, I was in JP Morgan and I was always looking for this perfect role as a trader. I wanted to be this thing and I wasn't. And so then I had my heart broken in that sense. I had this vision of how my career was supposed to go and it didn't go that way. And that led to the next iteration, which was becoming a coach. And that was actually what I was meant for. So these are the kinds of ways I can link the same concept of dating into other areas of life.
1: Yeah, it's really beautiful, and I, and I and I imagine that as you think about as we get into these masks, you imagine like our the story that we have, like the narrative that we've told for ourselves, is is rooted in in lots of things, right? It's like the unrequited—I love that word—the unrequited thing that you were looking for, right? Or what I maybe I, one is like what I was told I should be looking for, so I've been in, it's been ingrained in me, and then there's the other side where it's like, oh, actually, but I want more. I want I want something different somebody's going to be mad (laughs) somebody's going to have to be disappointed in this in or or i've decided that it doesn't matter what other people think right like i will i need to do what i need for myself right and i think that sometimes those pressures can come from outside and we don't even know where they came from we're like why do i why am i why am i doing this and we may not even know even understand some of the answers you know
0: yeah i think the most fascinating thing to me is I have a lot of conversations with people and you dig deeper into what they're feeling. And you know, what does that mean? What does that mean? What does that mean? You go seven layers deep and almost universally, everyone comes with those four words. I'm not good enough. Right. And and you're kind of like, I just think that's incredible. We all end up saying it, but it's what in, um, in NLP terms, which is a coaching uh, kind of methodology, we'd call it a, a generalization and a distortion because Mm. I'm not good enough at what for who that information is missing from that statement and so when you ask a person you're not good enough at what for who they have to get really clear on where did this originate from when did you learn you're not good enough and it's almost universally some experience in childhood that's just been built on like little layers you know it wasn't mum and dad said something and it didn't mean anything but we thought it did and then there's just this house of cards building up and it makes you feel like you're not enough but it's all nonsense at the end but it lives with you the past is always present and you're um you're looking through those glasses every day
1: oh wee <laughs> We're definitely looking through those glasses that's it's definitely how i how I see the world, you know how I see the world I'm gonna, I think I am going to tell you a story right? when I get to the back of the mask, I think it will come up to that that how I see the world that pops up in times I don't even expect it, but it it comes it sneaks up on me you know since you're the guest, you get to decide who goes first, so either you share the front of your mask first or you want me to share the front of mine
0: first, okay well I'm um... I've just been talking about myself, so I'd love to see in front of yours <laughs> <laughs>
1: all right, all right, so I'm gonna show my mask here and I, and i and I don't know what I was drawing today i'm I'm not really sure I was trying to i had I had an idea it didn't quite pan out the way I was planning, so it looks pretty strange but this is this is what we got today, so this is the mask that's the mask pretty the eyes are pretty wide open like pretty bright eyed and the words today uh, that i that i think as things i show the world is serious dedicated and passionate and i think the one that's really the one that's really like ringing to me right now i'm gonna start with the dedicated one because i mean serious and passionate are really there too but i think like ever forward you know we talked about it before we started is that you know 2016 i came on as a full-time executive director. But in 20, 2004 is when I started the organization. It was a program. I was a teacher. Mm. I wasn't trying to be running a nonprofit. I mean, I, I was already shocked that I had already become a teacher, you know, and I wanted to be rich. So and I think back to like my my, my 15, 16-year-old dream of being rich one day and then going off and becoming an engineer, that that job that was going to let me live the life I wanted to live, and then teaching, calling me, you know, and that that unrequited like need—I'm probably saying the word wrong—that that need of like—it feels different when you tell people you're a teacher. They mm. they look at you different. Yeah. They respond to you differently. They don't have to say any words, but I know what it feels like when somebody says when you tell somebody you're an engineer, they're like, "Oh, oh, oh," and you tell me you're a teacher, it's not the same. <laughs> it's not. They're like, "Really? Oh." What made you do that? Like, why? Why did you do that? You know, what chose? What made you choose that thing? Right, and uh, it's it's a feeling, and I think that I knew that teaching was a was a catalyst to something. Um, I didn't see it at the time. I just knew that it was being called there, and so I think that you know, nineteen years later of running this program. I'm sometimes like in shock, and I'm also like, "How did this go so fast?" Right? Mm. It feels like it just blinked, and it's 19 years. And um, the last thing I'll say about that is that earlier today, I had a call from a a a former student. I, I saw the name, and I'm like, "I recognize this name," but maybe it's a different person with the same name. And when she she got on the phone, she has an 11 year old son. She was asking about a program for her son, and I'm like, "She's like, is this?" Mr. Branch from San Lorenzo High School. And I'm like, Yeah. I'm like, it's you. I thought that was you. And so just imagine, like one of my former students, one of her sons, is probably gonna be in our program, right? Like, huh? That's a second generation. Like, and so the fact that I get to see this part of the journey come together, it actually means something really big. So it, it definitely didn't put the money in my bank like I thought it would, but as terms of like feeling like I've done something important sometimes (laughs) i don't always feel that but today after that phone call um hearing her so so i remember when you were doing that as a teacher Mm. and now seeing it like that's the work i do all the time
0: that feels good so that's the front of my mask yeah i think that's awesome and um yeah and to your point of people looking at you differently i remember very similar thing working in investment banking when you said you worked at jp morgan or when i said that You could tell people like, oh, that's impressive. That means something. The second you've moved out of that, now I say I'm a life coach because it's the easiest thing for them to understand. They just sort of roll their eyes and they're like, okay, (laughs) you know, what does that mean? Sure, you sell snake oil and that begins. So I definitely relate to you on that. But even with the teacher thing, um, even this morning, I had a client call and one of the questions I usually ask just to get them out of the problem is just think, Imagine your favorite teacher has this problem. How would they solve it? You know, so Mr. Branch, think about him right now. What would he tell you to do? What's the advice he would give? And they always have a teacher that sticks in their mind, always. And they get great advice from the memory of them. So absolutely what you're doing will live on. And it's amazing to see it be second generation. Yeah, that's powerful. And that's a powerful question
1: because I think that, yeah, thank you for that. Miss Miss BP was my my favorite teacher, and I'll never forget her.
0: Yeah, they leave a lasting impact on you, like years later. And I think that's something you know. No one's remembering me at JP Morgan right now. <laughs> so yeah, you know, as much as you get paid in that, so, and that's the thing about chasing money in titles—they're only there while they're there, and it's never enough. So yeah. that's the thing with yeah. it. Hmm. Thank
1: you. Thank you. All right. Your turn. You ready to do the front?
0: Yeah, yeah. So okay. mine's not as uh, colorful (laughs) as yours, unfortunately. So here's the front of mine. Can you see that? (laughs) I can. I can. So I don't know what I was doing with the green there. And I I don't know what this is, but this is my attempt. (laughs) But I put ambitious, coach, and transformation. And I think a lot of it is to do with this phase of my life where I have left corporate, you know, a few years ago. And there is a level of wanting to show that it's been successful, I think, you know, and not necessarily through blowing anything out of proportion, but showing that it's possible to other people and showing the transformations that I've been through myself and that other clients have been through. But I'd be lying if I didn't say there was some element of a little bit, I proved you wrong kind of thing. Because when I left the company, there are a lot of people who were saying things behind my back. There are a lot of people who were slating me, a lot of people telling me how I was going to fail. So there is undoubtedly in the front of that mask some part of me that wants that, that chip on my shoulder to be like, no, actually, I did do it. I'm still going. I'm still ambitious. And this is me now as coach. It's not vice president making rich people richer. That's powerful.
1: That's powerful. I only know about investment banking from movies, so I don't know much about it, except for maybe exaggeration in movies. But you know, there was one show I saw. um, I forgot what the name of it is even. But there's like this pressure to like, oh, we're on the same team and we are in the same company, but my job is to look better than you, so I need to maybe even sabotage you or slight you so that I get the next opportunity. Now, as I say, I'm only basing this on movies because I don't know anything about the world, but did you feel like collegial when you were there? Did you feel like you heard things like that when you were left, but while you were there, did you feel is that world kind of as aggressive as a, as a movie
0: show? So it's an interesting one because the way a bank works is there's many different moving parts, right? Like you, before here, Um, Before getting on this call, we were looking at the sound and things like that. It's a technology question, right? And then you're doing doing multiple things, so that's great. But in in the bank, there's like a technology division, there's an operations division, there's sales, there's marketing, there's um, investment banking itself, there's trading, all of these different things. And the stereotype, at least when I was going in about 10 years ago and plus, is you want to get in and you want to get to that trader role and that's what we associate with a wall street guy right someone who buys um apple stock and then sells it for more money and he's on the floor and there's lots of uh shouting and screaming that's what people envisage when they see investment banking right so when you go in as a graduate a young guy what i was hoping was i would start at the bottom or bottom i say the back really in technology and I would work my way up there. I would get to the trading floor. That was my dream. And because that's where you make all the money and everything's glory. <laughs> <laughs> so I started in back office in technology and I worked my way over 10 years to what they call a front office. I wasn't in trading, but it was near to trading in FX mm. and um, rates, government bonds, things like that. So what I found so interesting, though, was. The times that I spent in the roles up until that point were the best times where I was just helping people solve problems. I was getting stuff done. I was getting stuff fixed that was broken. I was supporting traders. So I wasn't a trader. I was actually helping them. And then you get to this sort of front line, and you think it's a bit different here. It is a little bit more cutthroat. It is people wanting to, to make more money, to look better. There's still a great team atmosphere depending on the team you're in. But you can't change the fact that it's an organization entirely focused on making more money, right? It's all about, for them, bottom line. So, and especially when COVID happened, you felt a little bit more disjointed. You weren't in the office as much. For me, it became a question of, is this what I want to do? Is this how I want to be remembered? Now, do I want to be my boss, my boss's boss, my boss's boss's boss? And that was all no, right? Mm. So I I went back to what I wanted to do, which was help people. And so I had to make that call, and as part of that, it was letting go of security. It was letting go of the prestige of it, Mm. the financial aspects of it, and letting go really of a dream of being very financially successful, which probably wasn't even my dream. It was just something that I thought was the right thing to do because of how I was not brought up by parents, but the environment that I grew up in in terms of the um, late nineties and two thousands.
1: Ooh, man. Thank you, thank you for that. Thank you for sharing that i I didn't know the I didn't think I knew even that much of how the world of banking works in that way so thank you, thank you for sharing that
0: yeah
1: now we're ready to go to the back. Are you ready yeah okay, so I'm gonna just show you the first two the first two the first two I wrote middle age and work got it and the third and the third one i was i was leaving it because I was um, I had a story I was gonna tell you and now I don't remember the story. But it, it was okay because it's not it's meant the story's not supposed to be told. Let me just start with the middle aged one. So I I had the opportunity to I I I think I tried to pretend I was young for a lot longer than I actually was young or what other people say was young, right? And so <laughs> a year ago, um during the pandemic, someone invited me to be on their podcast and it was called Midlife Revolution. And I was like, How dare you? Midlife, I'm not in no midlife. I'm young. You know what I mean? Like, (laughs) and then I realized, actually, I was, I was, I was, as I was doing the math, but also analyzing, why would somebody invite me to be on a midlife podcast? Like, what are you talking about? And then I realized, like, you know, I'm 47. Like, there's no 90 year old men in my life. There's not, there's not one. And a lot of the men in my life, in my family, did not live that long. Women live a lot longer. But the men don't, and I was like, oh my goodness i I probably am closer to mid- i am midlife or past it than I really want to believe right there's no there's no ninety four year old men in my life. I don't even know if any I'm trying to think of any i got to do some homework to see how many men in my family live to ninety four mm. so it was like a it was like a realization of something that i i had been in denial of, of so long. And my father died before I was born, so my, my father died when he was in his um, late 30s, early, early 40s, right? So I think even turning 40 was scary for me because I was like, oh man, I didn't, I didn't have a story that he passed me. I didn't have a, I didn't have a history because I didn't meet him ever. So I think that that journey has been tricky and accepting, and I don't talk about it much, but I'm, I talk about it in this conversation, right? But when I think about work... Like and I and I wrote the word work. I don't know why I wrote the word work, but I think it's work. My, my relationship to work is unhealthy. That's probably what I should have mm-hmm. written. My relationship to work is sometimes unhealthy. Like I work a lot, probably way too much. I love my work, so it's easy to work a lot, but it's also not healthy because I can always just turn to work to excuse why I can't hang out with my friends, why I'm not gonna go to that basketball game, why I'm not gonna go to that that party. Oh, I got some work to do. I got some work to do. And it allows me to be anti, I'm not anti, so I love, I love people. It allows me to be, uh, I it allows me to isolate.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: It allows me to have a good excuse to like isolate. And actually that's pretty tough. That's what, I mean, just to even put it in words. I don't know when that started. Probably started when I was young, right? And I would say it, Something over this past week that I I went to this uh, re- this academy called the Modern Elder Academy, <laughs> embracing this elderhood right coming it's coming whether I want it or not right. But I remember telling them at the story about uh when I was in the fourth grade, I had this candy business. Now my my school I got transferred from a school in the bottom of Oakland, the Heartland, you know, the Flatland they call it, and then I got a bus to a school in the hills. So. At the hills, there's no corner stores in the hills. But in my corner, my community, there's a lot of corner stores. So those kids up there didn't get candy. So I would buy candy at the bottom of the hill, take it on the bus up the hill, and the price would just go up as I went up the, up the hill.
0: <laughs>
1: <Yeah>. <laughs> and then I, I, like, I had the business going for like four months, five months. I was making bank. I was hiding money in books in my house. Like it was because my mom was nosy. she always be in my stuff. So I had to hide it. And then I got caught. I got caught. This this stupid kid fiending over some candy came to my classroom asking for candy in the middle of class. I'm like, Are you an idiot? What are you doing? And then the principal sent me to the principal's office. My mom came up to the school. Everyone was mad. I was like, oh, this doesn't make any sense. We're poor. Like I'm I'm serious. Like I'm we were we were like, what's what? Are you, what are you mad about? Like, I mean, she was mad that I was that I got, had her had her come to school, but I'm, I couldn't understand why anybody was mad. Like, what am I doing this really wrong? Like I bought it, I bought the candy, I sold it. there's no error there's no wrong there, but everyone's upset. All the adults are upset. and I remember that moment of like it was one of my early money narratives I think that began to create challenge, right? Like people are afraid of money. People, you shouldn't ever like go out and try and do something big because people will get upset. And it was a, it was a, a a recording that was behind the scenes. I don't think I I think I always wanted to be rich. I I hated being poor, so I was like, shoot, what's the opposite? <laughs> well, I guess you got to be rich, right? But also, I had this narrative pan from fourth grade where people got mad when you made money, and I didn't understand it. So those are things that I'm that's on the back of the mask, and I'll just put that word is like at fourth grade that fourth grade store, my first business that got shut down. Yeah. Um, but that's the back of my mask.
0: Oh, thank you for sharing that. That's awesome um, that you were a little entrepreneur back then. And obviously you still are in many ways an entrepreneur and you saw a <laughs> gap in the market and you, and you created a win-win for everybody. <laughs> Isn't it interesting to see how it, how different people handle someone being different and someone taking matters into their own hands and actually getting results with it? And people are not liking seeing results and what that means in terms of uncertainty, and where is he going to go, and what's that gonna open up protection mechanisms kick in, and you know it's all out of love in one sense, but a lot of it is also out of fear. Mm, who knows what yeah. comes next yeah, a lot of fear it, it it that room was
1: full of fear and it was but with no explanation right, and maybe they don't even know how to explain it. they don't even know why they're really
0: mad, yeah.
1: I mean, you they blame it on some rules or the convention of what you should do or shouldn't do, but no one had a good explanation that made sense to a fourth grader. Like, I, what did I do wrong, right? You know, but yeah, very, very powerful. That fear is big. And you say it stayed with you until a long time? Well, I think as I look back, I mean, I wonder, I mean, you know, I wonder, I wonder. I mean, I imagine it's still in there. I mean, it's a story that still brings up a lot of energy, right? So there's something in that story that, has, maybe it's not connected, but I feel there's some connection to the fact that, you know, like right now, as a, being in this work for 20 years, um, I'm barely, barely getting close to like where I was 20 years ago when I was an engineer, like financially, in a in a, like, you know what I'm saying? Like, so I think there's some, not that if I had that had never happened, I would have never left engineering and I would have stayed there. I don't know of all that, but I do know that there's some money narratives in my life that have not been serving me. Yeah. That it's, have not been. Yeah.
0: It's very interesting. And in terms of like later science on this sort of thing, it suggests that you have these experiences when you're a kid and there's a meaning there. There's a meaning of, and really what we're talking about is a loss of something, whether it's a loss of reputation, safety, certainty, physical loss. And it's at a time when you're vulnerable because you're a kid, your brain is vulnerable. But if you feel it's inescapable as well, we tend to develop an automatic response from there on to any similar stimulus. So the stimulus for you there was making money. And now there's a response of, is it right to make money? Is, am I doing something wrong by making money? And then if that narrative continues, anytime money comes up for you, it's basically taking you back to being in fourth grade. It's like you're living it again mm. without even knowing you're living it again, because it's in your, it's in the cells, right? So once oh, you kind of release yeah. that, you start to challenge it, and you challenge the meaning of it. I mean, there's no reason why you, you were clearly and still are a talented entrepreneur, because you saw something that nobody else did, and you probably still have that skill set now, that you see things that people don't, don't now. Yeah. Yeah. Ooh, that's powerful. Yeah, without a doubt, and I think that
1: that's actually a great thinking about it.
0: Because who, who does that in fourth grade? <laughs> 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 used to get these phone cards for free, and I would sell them for five pounds. But
1: nice, nice. That's it. That's it. But is, is, is that is that its other side of like oh I oh is this why is nobody doing this? okay, I'll fix this. I'll fix this. And it was, yeah. That, and I think that part is actually something I'm going gonna, I'm gonna re- to reflect on today. When I do some reflection this evening, like, yeah. Am I doing something wrong? And I think that has something to do with at, you as a coach, but me as a speaker, when I go out to speak, I often will let people underpay me. Yeah. Like, and I get mad after I'm getting the, you know, the selling in the invoice. I'm like, how did I do this? How did I, why did I do this again? And it's it's something back there that I've not fully got a handle on, but I'm but I'm working on. So, thank you, thank you for putting those words to it. I hadn't heard it in that way. I'm still like just really processing what that story has meant to this this day, you know. So, thank you for that. Yeah. All right,
0: your turn. The back of the mask. Back of the mask. So here we have gender male. (laughs) (laughs) So anxiety. Fear of failure and body dysmorphia are the three that have come up for me today. So, I mean, they're probably all a little bit linked, but I'll start with anxiety. I didn't realize this until recently that I get anxiety. I was in, den- I'm probably in denial of it for a long time. And I one of the reasons is I don't like the word anxiety, because I think we can start to identify with it and we just lose the sense of what it is and the way i really prefer to think about it is some sensations in the body right what's actually happening inside of me at that moment in time rather than but anxiety is a good way to just people can understand what you mean right it's just different person to person an example of this is i was in new york recently flying to new orleans i've never flown on southwest airlines have you uh, <laughs> you flown with them before <laughs> So we're in the queue and I'm looking at the ticket and I see that it says um, position 22 or something, position a 22. And I thought it meant seat a 22. So I go up to the lady at the counter and be like, is this my seat? And she's like, Oh no, no, no. We don't assign seats on this airline. I'm like, what do you mean you don't assign seats? She's like, no, you just, that's the position you're going to board the plane at. I'm like, you've got to be joking so now i'm preparing for the hunger games honestly i tell my wife it's going to be a battle royal in there we're going to get on the plane and there's going to be a fight for us to sit together that's where my brain's gone and i'm getting tightness in my chest i'm getting my heart going on because we've had some bad luck with planes going we had some stressful travel to get to that point we have to get this flight i'm thinking is it overbooked are we not going to get a seat you know, we're, we're not from the States. So we're traveling abroad mm-hmm. at this stage, and it's just going full on. I'm like, I do experience this thing of anxiety. Like, I, I definitely get it. Cause realistically I'm going to get on that plane. We're a 22 it's the people behind us who've got some problems. So like, I don't want to be them. in that moment. I was like, wow, you do get this. You still have that, that thing that triggers off in you occasionally. Mm-hmm. And, um, I have many more techniques to deal with it now. I think one thing I could share with people is you don't try and outthink your way of anxiety. You cannot battle it on its home turf. There is no thought process that's going to make it better. So I go to physiological changes, whether it's breath work or self-soothing, which is um, called havening. So you do a bit of touch like this with your hands or your face, generates delta waves, oxytocin, dopamine, and that is a way quicker way of resolving an- this anxiety than trying to think your way out of it. So when you think your way out of it, your brain has gone full on alert and it has every reason why you are wrong and every reason why you should not do anything in this moment, but panic. It's trying to keep you safe. Fortunately, we got on and we got some good seats, but I saw that at the back of the plane, they weren't happy. When, so <laughs> I'm just glad it wasn't there. Uh, <laughs> fear of failure it's probably the bigger one for me and again it's another thing that I thought I thought that I'd overcome it and what I've learned with it is that it's always there it's always there it's just a new level each time right so my original fear of failure was playing sports so I I won't practice as hard as I can because then I'll have an excuse of why I didn't do well I, the worst thing to me as a kid was this idea of let me practice as hard as I can and then still not be as good as I think I should be. So I always kept that excuse there. And I didn't know I was doing that, but that's what I was doing. And the same attitude carried over into my career at the start until I learned to just be okay with doing the best I could. But then you go into doing your own work and becoming an entrepreneur, and then you do end up bumping up against it again. And you have to realize here it is. Here's this part of you that's rearing its head. You don't have to hide from it. You can face it head on. But the more you acknowledge that's what you're dealing with, then you can actually do something about it. And I've noticed in my most recent iteration as a coach, you know, I said to you at the beginning that I do heartbreak coaching. I don't often actually say that to people because I'm worried about being too niche or just going there right? But now I've just accepted that I've had a five-year business in this model. It is what I do. And it's time to stop tying the line with it, right? So I've just gone full in with that. And I'm putting myself out there in terms of doing this podcast, but also um, creating more content online and not hiding as much as I used to, which, again, it was the fear of failure rearing itself in subtle ways. And then the final one is um, Body dysmorphia, again, didn't know I had this, but I grew up watching a lot of pro wrestling in the uh, 90s and some of it from the early 80s and late 80s even, sorry. So I grew up looking and idolizing physiques of people who were in a very different time and a very different uh, genetics and very different chemical substances they were using in a lot of cases. But what that meant for me is that growing up, I thought, I need to look like that and I was trying really hard for it and I could never do it because it's just not how I'm built. Doesn't mean I can't make progress, but I was really going through phases earlier in life where I'd be like on these ketogenic diets or eating really high protein, having five different supplements every day, and it just got crazy. And I you have to look in the mirror and be like, What what are you doing here? And even now, I have to catch myself with thinking, oh, I need to be in better shape, I need to put on more muscle, because really doesn't matter and it's still that little part of me that was a kid wanting this thing that and again it's that final unrequited love in a sense that you have to transform and go past i feel i should look a certain way i should be taller i should be bigger or whatever it's always focusing on what you don't have and that's where the dangers come in i think yeah we
1: man thank you you know i felt i felt those i felt i felt fear of failure is like my go to kind of one behind the mask and um thank you for sharing it because it's definitely connected to the work right the fear i work so hard because i just don't want to fail and sometimes in an unhealthy way right working until my eyes are like dude we we're about to we about to we we we, we gonna stop you're gonna keep trying to read this email but we about to we're going to just knock you out right here on this couch, right? Right here on this chair. Like you're going to be slumped. over. (laughs) You're going to be slumped over and you're going to wonder why your neck hurting in the morning, but uh, we're done, you know? And I think it's like that moment of like waking up at 4am where I'm just like, what the heck? Because my body was like, we told you we were done. We told you (laughs) and you kept, you kept playing. And I think that idea is that, Oh, where does that come from? Like, where does that come from? And, Thank you for sharing about the the growing up and I think a lot about the body dysmorphia. I think if I really deep dig deep, there's I mean I watched a lot of wrestling growing up too, but definitely a a deep place of like yeah of always not being happy with what I see, you know? And mm. I think it's a journey that I've been working on too, so I appreciate you sharing that. Thank you for putting words to it.
0: Yeah, it's it's um it's just one of those things and I think what I've learned most is I was just talking to a client this morning about it it's like that spider-man meme of the three Spider-Mans all pointing at each other everyone's <laughs> always um thinking about what they don't have and they can be like oh you're an amazing speaker ashanti i don't have that and then you could be saying oh but you work as a coach or you know whatever it is we can always be looking at each other thinking he's got something i don't have or she has this and you just take that focus away from what you do and it's that hedonic treadmill or it's never enough now i had this yeah. um this study where they they followed people who won the lottery and people who had lost mm. a limb, and mm. a year later they're at the same level of happiness because of the adaptation of the human, right? Of how we just get used to the new normal, and that's yeah. the treadmill you get on. It's alright. I climb a mountain. I'm not going to look around. I'm going to go. Where's the next mountain? Climb back down. Bigger one. All right. Bigger. It's not climb the mountain. Let me enjoy this. Let me think about that journey that I got up there. You know the trials and tribulations, the hero's journey. It's all right. What's next now?
1: As a coach, I imagine you, as you talk to people and you help them through those moments of difficulty, and this, whenever they, they're whether in a spin cycle or they're just like, you know, imagine as a mentor. I, I've never, in any context, said I was a coach, but I think in, in mentoring, it's always how do you help people, maybe just either see, like, if I'm focusing on this direction, maybe I haven't even looked to the left or to the right. Maybe I have not even, like, said, is this the right direction I'm looking in? Or am I focused in the right place? And just helping people see more that when you're kind of, like, stuck in the you miss that there's so much more on the outside that we can, we get stuck in like the lenses. I think you talked about the, Mm -hmm. we talked about the lenses, right? How do we get stuck in these lenses where I see the world a certain way? I see, I see what I see. I see, I see growing up poor. The, the, the solution to that is you got to find money. You got to find a way to make money. You got to like be creative and resourceful because that's not fun living. And as an adult, that's one of my biggest fears too, right? to, go back to
0: that place where I'm like worrying. Many of us are frozen in time from a period of our life. Right. And I'm, I had a conversation with two guys recently in finance. One was making half a million dollars a year and one was making about two fifty. Both of them thought they didn't have enough money and both came from poor backgrounds. And both of them said, I am not going back to how I was before. One was from Poland and one was from the UK, but his um, family were from Afghanistan. So they were just in this mindset of we cannot go back there and they're still as if they're almost there now, right? And so what happens is they've got their ladder against the wrong wall. They're climbing up this ladder thinking, I need to get more money, more money. And it's actually taking them further away from where they want to go because it's against the wrong wall, right? Mm -hmm. So sometimes what we need to do is get clear on what's really important to someone what is it that they really want out of life? But also, where's the balance? So sometimes I send this um, wheel of life, really basic elementary coaching exercise everyone's seen. People are still shocked when they think, hmm, legacy, that's a two out of 10. Family and friends, maybe that's a two out of 10. Finances, that's a, a seven or eight. Work, that's a 10. Health and fitness, that's a zero. And it's just like, you're out of whack, right? It doesn't matter if yeah. it's, If they're all twos, at least you can say you're balanced and everything's crap. (laughs) But When you're so far gone on one thing, Mm. you just lose sight of what's important. So I'm a big believer in gratitude journals, but I don't do it in the the sense of journaling per se. I create this um, room. I use an app called Happy Feed and I get my clients to join that and they just send me wins every day. Just send me a win that you had. And what happens is a gamification of that, because you get a little streak and you just have something memories to look back on. So you can see, all right, well, this time a few months ago, my win of the day was hitting the gym or, you know, helping someone out on the street. And it just what it's really doing is training your focus. You're always looking for a win in a good way and something to be happy a win can be something you're grateful for. It's not necessarily I made money. It's just it's sunny outside today, I feel great about myself that's a win right if you string that together you just start to program yourself a little bit differently
1: i think that part is the beauty of like being able to be an outsider as somebody's going through that journey right because sometimes like if if i'm, fo- if I'm i think there was a, a quote by um i think it was whoever they attributed it to it says most people are in a cage with the doors wide open right but if you're facing the back of the cage all you see is bars and an unescapable situation. Yeah. But all you need to do is just like, take a moment, turn around and recognize that the door is open to get out of that.
0: You know? Yeah. So I had this story that the way they train circus elephants is they'll take a baby elephant, tie it to a post. And cause the elephant's a baby, it will try three or four times to, to run. And it will hit the end yeah. of the lead and it will just be like, okay, I'm stuck. That same elephant will grow into a two-ton or whatever and it will still be just stuck there because it's not trying because in its mind it's like, I did that before, it's not going to work. And it could, if it took one step in the right direction, any direction, it would tear <laughs> that out of the ground, It'd tear it. But it's frozen in time from being a baby. And that's the mm. crazy thing. So many of us are like that. We're thinking mm. that we don't have options or that things aren't going to work. And it's just not always the case.
1: That's right. Those old stories, man. Remember, I told you at the end, like not the, the official end, but at the end of like the, of the time we have. Like we look and we say we need more time. Like we, you and I, I think we just need more time in, in this conversation. So, but I want to thank you for being here because I want to respect your time. But you know, is there anything, any last thing you want to say in terms of how this mask, not only just experienced today, but just in your own life, how? the mask has served or how it has, you know, kind of held you back a little bit. Um, And I just want to make sure if there's any last thing you want to say about that before we close out.
0: Yeah. I think the most important one for me, uh, well, two things I would say. So I've got this, the back of my mask said anxiety, fear of failure and body dysmorphia, but the anxiety and fear of failure, I think are the most relatable things for most people. And my one, piece of advice for people with anxiety as they experience is to work out where it is first, not obsess over the word. And think about how do I create physiological safety in the moment, not try to outthink it. Cause you can go and do all the therapy you want in the world, but when it hits, no thought is gonna get you through it. Breath work, moving your body, soothing your body, whatever it is, brain games, that's the way to go. And training yourself to realise that and act upon it is gonna transform your life. The second thing is with the fear of failure is that that is the number one thing that's held me back. But the only thing that I'm guaranteeing when I don't take action is that I do fail, right? So it's reframing what you believe failure is. You know, I think that there's only feedback, not failure. You just learn, right? You're learning, you're learning, you're learning, you're iterating. And if people can get out of binary, thinking things are all or nothing, are either succeeded or failed you'll make so much more progress. If you just have more compassion and say, if I just take a step, that's progress, rather than I had to do it perfectly. And then because I can't do it perfectly, I don't do it at all, or it didn't go as well as I wanted, I'm never going to do it again. That's what keeps you stuck from your potential. That's what keeps you in jobs that you don't want, in relationships that aren't good for you, in the same physical condition. Never about being perfect, but just incremental progress and having that compassion. I think those two things are things I would love to, to share as starting points to anyone looking to change their life and deal with these masks.
1: Well, you know, I would love for you to share how folks can get in touch with you around the work you're doing around heartbreak. I know that here, here's what I, here's what I've seen as a teacher and mentor young men in my primary work. They need a lot of support around heartbreak with those young men who have have that first breakup. I've seen young men, throw their lives into like reverse while they're going 50 miles an hour. And I'm like, what are you doing? What's happening? And I think that because we're told in our community, my community right here in the Bay area, we're told that you're not supposed to be sad. Mm. Don't worry about her. Find another one. Let her go. Don't care about that. And I've seen young men who try and act like they are not caring, but so much caring and they can't, they can't carry it alone, and they end up self. They do some self sabotaging behavior. Sometimes a lot of community sabotaging behavior. But I think it's a t- it's a tool that many people need. But I definitely appreciate you for the work you're doing. Um, well, let folks know how how they can find you, or if, for those who want to find you. And um, I would love to make sure we'll put all this in the show notes for them to find.
0: Yeah, that's great. Thank you. I write a blog on Medium, so medium. dot com forward slash manchbara. Um, I've been. Fortunate to have quite a good presence there, but also on Instagram, Manjbarra. And I've got a really terrible website, Manjbarra.com, which is going to be uh, renovated soon, <laughs> but you can reach me like that. Um, but I'm pretty responsive on all the platforms, also on LinkedIn. And yeah, I love to hear from people. I basically reply to every single person who messages me and um, I do offer free kind of consultations for anyone who just needs to handle anything. Right now, the challenge is how do you pick apart what they're learning about pickup artistry or Andrew Tate sort of theories and and not saying that he's all wrong or anything's wrong or right. It's just what I've discovered lately, especially in the States, is that kind of frat community where it's thinking I must behave a certain way. I must not text back. I must leave her unread three times. And these are from people who actually aren't like that, right? These are good Mm -hmm. high guys who just want to be loved and they just want a good relationship but they don't know where to go and then they go online and they find all this stuff and they go into the red pill and it's like oh my god been there it's not where you want to be you're just going to end up coming right back to where you are now and feeling worse so yeah i feel you with that one
1: well i feel i mean you you probably know about this story or maybe i don't know because it's an athlete in the in the u.s and i just only saw so you know a little bit about the story except that people are getting on his case about being whipped by this woman or something I don't know I don't know the story I just know that he's giving her money I mean he's a multimillionaire he's given her a lot of money and people are like all I saw was the comments like what the what's wrong with this guy was and I'm like but it's that it's that part right where in his I don't, like without knowing the story without just knowing what I heard in the comments people are like ju- in, in their judgment mode right they're judging what he's doing with in his life and they're making themselves feel right to be able to tell somebody else how they should feel or how to deal with their own relationships. Right. And I think
0: yeah.
1: that pressure, and that's like, that's a professional, that's a grown man in the NBA getting this kind of pressure. And what do you think a 12 year old, 13 year old in a yeah. middle school down the street is going to get, That's tough, man. right. It's just, how do you, I mean, I can insulate myself when I got a bunch of millions to like, well, maybe I can't, but I'm thinking about the idea of like, like, Look, you, I have nothing, you, you, you don't pay these checks, right? So you mind your business as opposed to a like 12, 13, 15 year old, who's like got people ragging them all the time in, the, in their communities. And so all the work, and I'm, not, I'm speaking about the young men in particular, just in this context, but anyone who deals with heartbreak, yeah, we need, we all are going to feel something, you know? So yeah. Manj, Bara, I want to thank you for being on the show today. i I really appreciate you and I'm looking forward to we'll, we'll share all the ways people can contact you in the show notes. And um, I look forward to connecting with you again.
0: Yeah, thank you so much for having me. I love what you do. I'm going to share this exercise with some of my clients as well and uh, on my Instagram. So I really appreciate it. Thank you, brother.
1: I appreciate you. Well, folks, look, Manj and I, we shared our masks publicly, but you can do it anonymously at millionmask.org. Thank you for being a part of this uh, community and, and we'll could connect you with Manj in the show notes. So all of his information will be there. Thanks for listening, folks. We'll see you soon. Bye now. Taking off the mass podcast is produced by Ryan Louie and graphics by Kelly Wong. Guests are managed by Dan Paloma and the podcast is edited by Samuel Matingo. We'd like to thank everyone who's been a part of the creation of this podcast. And for every guest has been a part of the show You are now a part of the Taking Off the Mask family. The Taking Off the Mask podcast is brought to you by the Ever Forward Club. And if you like what you've heard today, please subscribe, write a five-star review, and share this with someone. We look forward to having more conversations that matter. And please remember, there is more to you than anybody can see by just looking at you.